This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys John Schmidt and Lisa Jingaleski from the law firm of Linda Berry, McCormick, Estabrook & Cooper in Westfield, New Jersey. John Schmidt has over 35 years of experience representing management and employment litigation matters, including the defense of whistleblower claims, discrimination, breach of contract, wrongful discharge, and violation of restricted covenant matters. John is also included in the Chambers and Partners Guide to Labor and Employment Law and has been certified by the New Jersey Supreme Court as a civil trial attorney. Lisa Jingaleski is a member of the firm's Labor, Employment, and Employee Benefits Group, where she concentrates her practice in the areas of labor and employment law, as well as ERISA and employee benefits law. She also has a firm knowledge and legal understanding of social media, and we're very pleased to have you both with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Today's discussion pertains to social media and the rise in wrongful termination claims against employers. It also addresses social media policies and liability for employers. And Lisa, today we're going to start the questioning with you, Can you tell us what constitutes social media? Of course. I think we're all pretty familiar with what constitutes social media. It's essentially going to be social networking where members create online profiles to become part of an online community. It's going to include all the networks we're familiar with, including Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, any sort of blogs, as well as YouTube. And Lisa, what remedies are available to employees as a result of an employer's misuse of social media during the hiring process? If an employer relies upon or is motivated by impermissible subject matter, in other words, information regarding a candidate's protected characteristics, which would include anything like religion, disability, sexual orientation, etc., and that information is discovered during an online search of the candidate, then that employer may be subject to liability under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Specifically, the employer may be found liable for any sort of back pay, front or future pay, and benefits denied to the candidate as a result of that discrimination. Injunctive relief may be awarded as well. An employer may also be liable for damages, including attorney's fees and costs for any violations of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. If an employer uses what's called a third-party background check provider to conduct a social media background check on a potential job at candidate. The employer must make sure that it is in compliance with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. And those requirements would include notifying the employee that the employer may obtain a report about that candidate, as well as obtaining written consent before actually receiving the report. And lastly, an employer may be subject to certain privacy violations if they seek to access a job candidate's personal social media accounts. New Jersey password protection legislation is one of the broadest in the country, and it specifically prohibits employers from asking a job applicant to change his or her privacy settings, as well as to request that applicant's username or password in order to view the candidate's account. It also likely restricts an employer for sending any sort of friend request or LinkedIn request to potential candidates because these requests would allow employers to access what would be otherwise a restricted area and could result in a violation of that individual's privacy. So those are the three areas to be mindful of when using social media during the hiring process. 
Thank you, Lisa. John, we'll switch over to you now. What remedies are available to employees as a result of being disciplined for making disparaging comments about his or her employer through social media? John, the key there is the word disparaging. The law is changing rapidly um, with regard to what comments an employee can make concerning the employer. If the comments that an employee makes uh, may be considered disparaging but may also deal with terms and conditions of the workplace, such as wages, benefits, hours of work, things that would clearly be um, of importance to other employees. And the comments that are made by one employee are circulated to other employees. The issue then becomes whether or not they are disparaging. Uh, If they are concerning terms and conditions of of other employees and of the workplace, the National Labor Relations Act steps in. The National Labor Relations Act provides that individual employees can, on their own behalf or on behalf of others, engage in concerted activities for the purposes of providing mutual aid or protection to each other. What that means is that employees have the right to engage in concerted activities to speak with each other concerning the terms and conditions of employees. So that if an employer should terminate an employee who disagrees with comments made by the employer concerning terms and conditions of employment or is expressing concern over terms and conditions, that employee has the right to file an unfair labor practice charge with the National Labor Relations Board uh, who can then investigate. And if, in fact, they find that they're Uh, there was a violation of the National Labor Relations Act that the employee was engaged in concerted activity, Uh, the employee can be reinstated with back pay and all benefits that they lost as a result of being disciplined. John, thank you. And Lisa, what remedies are available to employees as a result of being disciplined or violating an employer's social media policy? As John discussed, any sort of discipline imposed pursuant to a company policy that restricts employees from any sort of discussions that involve the term and conditions of their employment, that can include wage, hours, any host of things that colleagues would discuss with one another, may implicate Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. Specifically, if this policy restricts an employee's ability to engage in what John referred to as concerted activity, which is when two or more employees take action for their mutual aid or protection regarding those terms and conditions of employment, employers may be subject to liability under the Act. Those penalties can include reinstatement of an employee to her former position, payment of lost earnings and benefits to the employee, removal of any sort of information related to the discipline and termination against that employee from her personnel file, rescission of handbook policies, and provisions that preclude employees from engaging in concerted activity, as well as other forms of injunctive relief, including having to possibly post a notice that outlines the employee's rights under the National Labor Relations Act. Okay, thank you, Lisa. And John, what liability, if any, is the employer exposed to for an employee's use of social media to harass another coworker? 
As in any workplace situation, an employer is obligated to maintain a workplace that is free from harassment resulting from a protected classification such as sexual harassment, racial harassment, disability harassment. If the employee uses social media to harass a co-employee because of a protected status, and it can be established that the harassment occurred on the job where using the employer's protected tools, the employer's computer, the cell phones, or other means of communication that are provided by the employer, um, the employer could be liable uh, based upon a vicarious liability situation for the conduct of the co-employee in harassing the co-worker. So therefore, the employers have to be vigilant. And in doing that, they should make certain that they have provided a personnel policy that clearly explains to the employees that the employees have no ownership interest in any of the employer-provided tools, such as computers. And the employers should monitor those uh, computers, emails, text messages using their equipment on a regular basis to make sure that there is no harassment that could then impose some type of vicarious liability against the employer for violation of harassment policies and or employment discrimination laws. And John, is there anything risk or claims managers should be concerned or aware about regarding the potential for litigation? Uh, yes, just several things. First, uh, risk managers should be aware that New Jersey law in particular, and I'm certain that other states that view employee rights in a liberal fashion, such as California, Michigan, Wisconsin, <clears throat> New Jersey law has said that its whistleblower statute, the Conscientious Employee Protection Act, is not preempted by the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, as a result, someone who is disciplined for exercising their rights under the National Labor Relations Act uh, can bring a cause of action under New Jersey whistleblower statute and probably under the other uh, state whistleblower statutes. That means that in addition to back pay and reinstatement, uh, the employee would also be entitled to other forms of compensatory damages, such as emotional distress damages. They could be awarded attorney's fees, and they could also be awarded punitive damages. Now, this is particularly uh, risky because in New Jersey, for instance, there was an employment discrimination matter just several weeks ago where a jury verdict in, in Morris County awarded $87,000 uh, in uh, damages to the employee and the attorney has submitted an attorney's fees application for $2.8 million. So it, it's getting to the point where the legal fees are driving many of these cases. Uh, I would strongly urge also that the risk managers as part of their job duties should consult with the employees if it's or employers if it's at all possible to make sure that they have good personnel policies that are dealing with social media and the risks associated with them this is particularly evident because only four percent of the workforce is currently represented by a union and yet the national labor relations board 
is imposing its will upon all employers irrespective of whether they have a collective bargaining agreement. So the majority of the workplace has no regular exposure to the National Labor Relations Board and yet could be subject subjected to an unfair labor practice charge because of violating social media uh, policies and uh, being charged with an unfair labor practice. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. That was attorneys John Schmidt and Lisa Jingaleski from the law firm of Linda Berry McCormick, Esther Brooklyn Cooper in Westfield, New Jersey. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to iTunes or our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AM Best, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.